Homecoming in Orlando, yeah. I tried to tell him last night on the radio show. I think that Disney is opening up their gates to free uh, free admission at like three o'clock. So if any of those <laughs> students and them want to want to roll over to Disney that uh, and not come to the game, maybe maybe we can uh, not make it quite as crazy. Oh, that's a pretty unique idea. I've, I've heard of ways of taking the crowd out of it. I mean, sometimes, you know, a good offensive drive, maybe a big kick return. Those are one way, maybe two ways to kind of limit the crowd noise. Another way is, you know, send the opposing fans to the happiest place on earth, right down the street at Disney World. I'm Craig McElroy. Here with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. Thanks for being with us today. It is Friday, October 28th. Really appreciate everything that you've given us this month. It's been our best month yet as far as numbers are concerned. And we really appreciate the interaction that you've provided with us. Also want to give a special shout out to a few folks that have really been lighting us up in the email. Helps us out a lot. At alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. So hit us up in the email, man. Hit us with a question. Even if we don't get to it on the air, we'll try to answer it via email. But shout out to Scott, Jacob, and Robert for all the emails we've gotten the last couple of weeks. But I also want to give a special Roll Tide shout out to Rod, who gave us an unbelievably awesome review on Apple Podcasts. Rod's originally from Hartford, Alabama, but he's currently serving in Kuwait, where he serves as an avionics trainer and technician on Black Hawk helicopters. And he left us an amazing review there on Apple Podcasts. And we can't tell you how much we appreciate your service, Rod, and we appreciate you being with us as we navigate throughout this college football season. We appreciate all of our men and service women uh, around the globe that always have their fingers on the pulse of college football. So we're happy to be able to interact with you. Tell us your story. Hit us up in one of our reviews. Hit us up on the ESPN YouTube page in the comment section. Send us an email, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We'll tell your story because we want college football fan stories to be told. So we will get to it in a future episode. Look, we have a lot that we need to get to today. There's no denying that. We have a great visit with Luke Fickle coming up a little bit later. Help preview the game against UCF and a massive one there in the AAC as far as who's going to reign supreme. We also, of course, have many, many breakdowns that we need to get to. We'll ask some big questions and I'll give you a new segment that we're going to give you from now on. Okay. It's called our little nugget segment. Okay. A couple little nuggets that you might want when looking and evaluating some of these games. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip, sausage chili mac and cheese, Eckrich smoked sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckrich.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckrich, you do you. All right, let's get into some of these big matchups for the weekend, and let's start in Knoxville, Tennessee, where top five, top three, top two. I mean, everyone's got different variations of where Tennessee should be ranked. 
Understandably so. I love them. I think they're great. I think they have incredible firepower. I also think this is a remarkably dangerous game. They're the better team. Look, they're a comfortable favorite. Vegas looks at them right now at like 12 and a half point favorites, give or take. All right, so not that Vegas is the end-all, be-all for evaluating these teams, but I just look at this potential spot, and I, I think that, look, that we all know right now what's coming up next week. We all know so many people are going to circle that Georgia game and say, hey, that's the one you got to win to get to the SEC championship game. Just be careful. This Tennessee team is excellent. They are legit, no doubt. But let's not deny that Kentucky, when they play their best football, is pretty dang dangerous. All right, let's get into the matchup just a little bit deeper. Start with Kentucky against Tennessee in regards to what Kentucky's done defensively and what Tennessee's done offensively. Kentucky is allowed 24 or fewer points in 11 consecutive games. It's the longest active streak in the FBS. It's pretty amazing when you think about that. And the team's longest streak from back in 1979, okay? The last team to actually score more than 24 against Kentucky was this Tennessee Volunteers bunch. So obviously, does it matter? I don't know, but that's a pretty good trend to carry into this performance. Meanwhile, Tennessee, it's been documented. We know what they've done. Uh, they've scored 30 or, four, 30 or more points in 10 consecutive games. It's the longest streak in program history and tied with UCLA, the longest active streak in the FBS. So just looking at where these two teams are at, what gives? Longest streak scoring 30 plus, longest streak holding teams beneath 24. They clash, one will come to an end this week. Right? I mean, it has to. <laughs> right. Looking at some of the matchups within the matchup, okay? If I'm, and, and let's look at this through the prism. I mean, if Tennessee plays their best game, if Kentucky plays their best game, Tennessee wins. Okay, it's as simple as that. If Kentucky plays their best game and Tennessee plays their B game, we now have action. Okay, what does Kentucky's A game look like? They have to empower their quarterback. I happen to think this is not a game where they can just sit there and say, yep, we're going to hold them underneath 24 because that's what we've done the 11 straight games. And we're going to be in a great position to just grind out a victory. That's not who they are. That's not who Kentucky is. and That's certainly not who Tennessee is. I think if you're going to beat Tennessee, you have to score with them. Can Kentucky do that? I think they have the potential to be able to do that. You look at Kentucky's firepower. They have excellent wide receivers. They have an excellent quarterback. Those are their best attributes right now. Offensive line, not great. And you look at what they go against going against Tennessee's defense. Tennessee's defense really good against the run. So does that matter? And Chris Rodriguez coming off for his season high, nearly 200 yards against uh, Mississippi State. That was the second highest total of his career. So he comes in with a bit of a hot hand. You know they're going to feature him. They always do. He's going to get touches. He's going to get opportunities. But the best path for Kentucky to put points on the board is through the air. They have excellent wide receivers, and they have an excellent quarterback. Now, if Tavion Robinson is, for whatever reason, not available, or for whatever reason, well below 100%, that has a huge impact. All right? But if you look at the other pieces that they have at wide receiver and even tight end, I think the tight ends are very underappreciated. That's a spot where they can survive. They also have to do a really good job keeping Will Levis healthy and safe. All right, healthy. I might as well punt that term. Will Levis has turf toe. Will Levis has a shoulder injury. Will Levis has a dislocated finger. The guy is completely beaten up, but he's tough as nails. And I happen to think 
he, if the offensive line can give him time, can provide enough of a threat to keep it difficult on Tennessee. Looking at where Tennessee's at right now, Hendon Hooker uh, has been off the charts. I mean, so good, so amazing. Certainly, understandably in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy, but he doesn't do it alone. We all know what Jalen Hyatt's done, nine receiving touchdowns in the last three games. But the big key, I think, for Kentucky, can they create pressure against Hendon Hooker? So far, Alabama couldn't do it with any levels of consistency. No one else on the schedule has really been able to create a consistent pass rush. Right now, Hendon Hooker has seen very little pressure. He's been under duress on just 16% of his dropbacks. That's the third lowest rate among qualifying quarterbacks. So this has been an offensive line and a scheme, frankly, with their tempo that has kept their quarterback's jersey clean. So that's the pathway to success for Kentucky. One, score with them. Two, allow Will Levis to stay upright. You give up a million sacks, you can't in this game. Three, empower the wide receivers. They have to win their one-on-ones. And four, you better do a really good job of trying to create penetration, trying to create quarterback pressures, and making sure you hit Hendon Hooker because no one's been able to do that on a consistent basis at any point this year. If you're looking for a little gambling nugget, not that you know you need to look at this from any particular you know angle or whatnot, Kentucky's three and zero against the spread against AP ranked opponents this season, twelve and a half. Kentucky, I think they keep it close. I do. I think they hang in there. I do think it's going to be shootout, but I think they hang in there. However, ultimately, I still think it's a little bit too much firepower from Tennessee. All right, moving next. It's a big game there on Big Fox noon kickoff. That's going to be Ohio State traveling to Penn State. First thing we need to discuss here, okay? First thing we need to discuss. This is the first test for Ohio State. You can tell me that Notre Dame was. I disagree. I think Notre Dame's just average offensively. Okay. I think this is the first real test. First real test, honestly, with any type of offensive firepower, not that Penn state's an elite offensive team. I think they lacking a wide receiver compared to what they usually are. I think the tight ends are pretty good. Love their running backs. Offensive lines. Okay. And Sean Clifford, he's going to miss two or three, maybe four or five throws in the game. So I'm not sure that this is a team with crazy firepower, but I think they are best positioned to create issues for Ohio State's defense. So this is the first real test when we get to evaluate how much better is 2022's defense when compared to 2021's. I happen to think they're better. I, I hope they are, right? I mean, I just, at this point, I really don't know. So we shall see. Let's talk about the pathway, not all that dissimilar to what we just talked about a second ago with Kentucky trying to knock off Tennessee. We know that Penn State is a long shot favorite. All right, long shot underdog, excuse me, going against a favorite of north of two touchdowns. Okay, there's one thing I should say, though. I mean, Penn State's covered five of six against Ohio State. So what does that tell you? I mean, it tells you that James Franklin, even though he doesn't win these games, he at least keeps them close. Okay, the Nittany Lions are just one in 19 against AP top five teams this century. Their one win came in 2016. That was against Ohio State. Remember, that was the whiteout. They blocked the kick, returned it to the house, and that was all well and good. But the good news is for Penn State is that the rallying cry, and we called their game last week, and I studied the I studied Penn State the whole week. I was trying to figure out, are they real or are they not? I mean, I, I really was. I mean, I was trying to, just like all of you out there that probably aren't sold on Ohio State, 
probably aren't sold on Penn State. Maybe you're sold on Ohio State. That's probably the wrong team to say, all right, you sold or not, right? But maybe you're not sold on Penn State as a real threat. Fair enough. Take it from me. I studied them for a whole week, okay? I, I don't think they're a national championship contender. I don't think they're anywhere near playoff contention, but I think they're tough. I think they play hard. I think they're really good on defense. Now, offensively, they have challenges. No doubt about it. I already referenced those. The lack of a pure alpha dog wide receiver is probably the biggest issue when looking at where they're at right now. Let's talk about how Penn State makes this interesting. Okay. One, their pass defense, secondary, however you want to coin it, it needs to be as good as it's ever been. And it's been good. It's one pretty strong area of Penn State's team. All things considered, that might be the strongest attribute that they have this year. They're third in completion percentage allowed, and they've given up just six passing touchdowns. They've also, in the process of these first seven, eight games, they picked off seven passes. So if you look at where they're at defensively in the back end, their strength is going to be going up against Ohio State's strength. Ohio State's strength is obviously on the perimeter with the weapons that they have. Now, Joey Porter, who does he get? Probably Marvin Harrison, right? Uh, well, who did the other guys? You got Egbuka that you still got to worry about. Maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba. Maybe he finally becomes a, a featured player after he's been nursing an injury for the better part of three quarter, two-thirds of this season or whatnot. He's at some point going to get back. Maybe it's this week when he gets a full load. We'll find out. But either way, I'm not sure the depth in the secondary is going to be enough to match up mono 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 Now, Porter's going to get his. All right. I'm not sure he's quite Terrell Revis, but he's probably as close as it gets in college football right now at corner. The guy's ex- excellent, just an excellent talent with great length and can match up against longer wide receivers. So Porter's going to limit one guy's production. Can the other guys step up? That I think is a big, a big and significant and an interesting aspect that we need to assess. The other thing that I would say Penn State's defense, I think when you look at Jair Brown, at safety, I think he's phenomenal. Just phenomenal football player. He has to play out of his mind. He's got to be in the middle of the field, and he's got to be a complete ball hawk from sideline to sideline. And if C.J. Stroud is back there and puts a little bit too much air under the ball, guess what? Jair Brown's got to go make a play. So I think when you have an eraser there at safety and you have an elite lockdown corner like Porter, you have a chance, Okay. The one thing, though, can you get home? Can you pressure C.J. Stroud? Can you hit C.J. Stroud? Can you make him uncomfortable? That's a real legitimate question mark, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do so. I also think they have issues, especially at the second level. They're young at linebacker. They're relatively inexperienced at linebacker in some spots. And I have my doubts as to whether or not athletically they'll be able to keep up if Ohio State runs them sideline to sideline. All right? As far as what we're looking at for Penn State's offense, because if you're going to beat Ohio State, you got to score 35, right? I mean, at least it feels like you have to. Can you against this defense? We're going to find out. But I think these wide receivers for Penn State have to be better than they ever were. Parker Washington last week finally took that step. It's like, all right, maybe he's going to be that guy. Mitchell Tinsley, the transfer from Western Kentucky, he's got to win his one-on-ones. You got to look at the tight ends. Brenton Strange, a phenomenal phenomenal tight end. He's got to be big. The other guys that also factored in huge last week, they got to be big. You're going to get some man coverage. You're going to get a lot of pressure. But Clifford, being the veteran that he is, he's got to be smart. 
knowing how to handle that pressure and expose that pressure. Also keep in mind the home field here. The home field needs to be significant. It's going to be 12. It's going to be noon. It's going to be early and it better be rocking because so much of what Ohio State does is at the line of scrimmage with communication. If you can disrupt the communication and get them a little bit behind the sticks, maybe you can disrupt the rhythm of what they're trying to do offensively. I think it's a long shot that Penn State pulls it off, but if the stars align, anything's possible. We've seen in the past and the rallying cry for this team has been, hey, we're just like 2016. Well, they get a chance to prove it on Saturday against one of the best teams in America. All right, moving south now to Jacksonville. Maybe one of the final two times we see this game played in Jacksonville, I might add. The Florida Gators take on the Georgia Bulldogs. The Gators have been dominant, dominant in the series at times. They won 11 to 12 when Steve Spurrier was there. It's been a little bit more competitive since Steve Spurrier has been away, but they've still won 11 to 20 since then. But Georgia's won four of the last five. So this has been a fairly competitive rivalry for quite some time. We've seen both these teams obviously represent the East in the last handful of years. So even when it feels like one program's down and the other one's way up, it doesn't seem to stay like that for very long. Let's look a little bit at some of the numbers here. Okay. Georgia, this is shocking to me. You might not be that surprised when you think about what they're doing defensively. They're fourth in the country in allowing yardage defensively. They're giving up under 250 a game, 247 to be exact. That probably doesn't surprise you. Best in the SEC, fourth best in college football. What might surprise you is they've actually been better on the offensive side of the football. They are second in the country in total offense with 527 yards per game. That, that, that surprised me. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I was shocked when I found out that information. Second best offense in college football? So you have a number two offense, number four defense? Pretty good place to start. Guess who's number one, by the way? I already talked about him. It's Tennessee. Okay, 527 yards of offense as well. So these are the two teams that rank the highest right now when it comes to yards per game. You're probably wondering, where's Ohio State? Well, maybe if Ohio State didn't start on Iowa's 20 every every series last week, maybe they'd actually be in the mix. But obviously, that number took a big of a hit because they won field position, starting field position last week so handily against the Hawkeyes. All right, so that was a shocking stat when I was looking into it. The other thing that was shocking is Brock Bowers has not found the end zone in four consecutive games of the year. That's the longest streak of his career. He had only one catch in last year's game against Florida too. That was his fewest in 21 career games where he ran at least 10 routes. So if you look at where Brock Bowers has been the last couple of weeks and where he was last year against Florida, I know it's a different regime. It's a different staff. But either way, I mean, Florida's defense wasn't great last year at all. Not great this year either. But Brock Bowers was locked down last year for whatever reason. So expect them to get involved early. And hopefully he finds pay dirt for the first time in quite a while. Hey, no pressure, Billy Napier. Like No pressure whatsoever. You're a three-plus touchdown dog against your bitter rival. And to make it even worse and to add even more pressure, do you realize that five of the last seven Florida coaches won their debut against Georgia? Five of the last seven. All right. Uh, Steve Spurrier did, Ron Zirk did, Urban Meyer did, Galen Hall did, Jim McElwain did. The two that did not, Will Muschamp and Dan Mullen. Of course, mo- both met an early demise. So no pressure. You know, five of the last seven have gotten it done against the Bulldogs in their debut in the cocktail party. So no pressure, Billy. 
I would imagine they spent some time on this in the offseason. I would imagine that his staff probably circled this one and said, hey, guys, we got to figure out the Georgia defense. Like This needs to be an all-points bulletin plan for us. It better be our best plan of the year. It better be our best performance of the year because we're going to need it. What's the pathway to an upset? The biggest thing for Florida, I think, in this game, you got to be great on third down. Because so far, up to this point, they've been one of the worst teams in college football defensively on third down. They're allowing 53% conversion in third down. That's the worst, second worst, excuse me, in the Power Five. Well, in the FBS, if you want to take it one step further, Colorado is the only one that's worse. You know how bad Colorado is? Exactly. All right. Georgia, conversely, one of the best teams in America in converting their third downs. They convert an SEC high 52% of their third downs. That's ninth in college football. So you got one of the worst teams in college football in Florida against one of the best teams in college football in Georgia on third down. When the defense for Florida's on, when the offense for Georgia's on, that Florida defense has to get off the field in critical down and distance. And then secondly, this is for Florida's offense. They got to create big plays. They absolutely have to create big plays. And this goes true all the time going against the Georgia Bulldogs. Man, if you just want to snap it 10, 11, 12 times, just ram your head against the wall against a defense like this, fine, go for it. You snap it 11 or 12 times, guess what? One of those 11 or 12 or two of those 11 or 12, their defense is just going to be better than you because they have better players than you. So how do you neutralize that talent advantage? By creating chunk yardage plays. That's the only way that you can do it. So Florida's got to be really, really good in creating big plays. The good news is their quarterback, Anthony Richardson, he's a big play waiting to happen at any given point. We know what he can do with his legs. The guy's got three career uh, carries that have gone for over 75 yards. He might need to have one here. Just a couple weeks ago, though, he had an 81-yarder in the first play of the fourth quarter against LSU, and that defense clearly at LSU is not that bad. All right, we've seen him do it before. He's got to play his best game in a Gator uniform. Justin Shorter is the other guy that you need to keep an eye on if you're the Georgia defense because he's a guy that can create big plays. He's second in the FBS, averaging 22.5 yards per reception this year. All right, he's also gained 20-plus yards on seven of his 18 catches. So while he's not very fast, he is big. Big body at six foot five. He's going to catch some of those 50-50 balls down the field. You can't let him get behind you, and you can't let him get into one-on-ones. If you look at Georgia, they've been excellent as far as giving up big plays this year. They allow just they allow less than nine yards per catch and have allowed just 13 plays that have gone for 20-plus yards this year. That's tied for the second fewest in the FBS. So this is something that Georgia excels in, but Florida's going to have to create some big plays if they want to stay in this game. I think it's going to be a tough one for Florida to keep up. I think Georgia wins this game comfortably and sets up what should be an incredible game next week against Tennessee. All right, moving into the Big 12, one of the great games of the weekend. Oklahoma State traveling to Kansas State. They are currently tied for second right now in the Big 12, and both have already played and lost to first place TCU. So the winner of Saturday's game We'll have the inside track into the conference championship game. A fairly significant inside track, obviously, with the game and a half lead on the loser of this particular matchup. What's interesting about it? One, Adrian Martinez injury. 
Okay, that to me is by far the most dramatic aspect of this game leading up to it. If he can't go, look, I was very impressed, probably like much of you. Anyone that watched that game last week, probably pretty impressed with what you saw from Will Howard. But ultimately, I mean, can he continue doing what he did? Now, Adrian Martinez right now has been listed as a game time decision with a severe knee bruise. What does that mean? I don't know. I never had one. Sounds painful. Sounds really painful. And for a guy that makes a living running the football, is he going to be able to put forth a good enough effort to be able to neutralize a defense that has at times been somewhat susceptible? But you could make a case there in the second half of that football game against the Texas Longhorns. That was probably as good as I've seen them play all year. We had a 30 minutes, 30 minutes of action, forced a couple turnovers, Made life difficult, I thought, with some of the looks. thought the coverage was a little bit better. They were opportunistic when balls got tipped up in the air. Like That was a much better defensive performance, especially compared to the first half against Texas. So I think if we, if the Pokes can replicate that type of deep defensive impact, sure, man, they got a chance to make a lot of noise because we know they can score. We know they can score. Spencer Sanders has been in this situation before. He's won 11 games against AP-ranked opponents as a starter. That's the second most among starting quarterbacks in the last five years. Do you want to know who is first? That was Joe Burrow, who won 12 against AP-ranked opponents. Anytime you're being ranked against the likes of Joe Burrow means you're doing something right. All right, now Spencer Sanders, a little bit beat up as well. There were question marks even last week, if you kind of read in between the tea leaves. and I never believed him. I'm sure it was a little bit of gamesmanship. But there were people that thought he might not play last week. Now, uh, I never thought that that was a realistic possibility. I mean, knowing what his team was in search of, knowing what his team had on the line, uh, I didn't think that was likely. Spencer Sanders is the straw that stirs the drink. Now, hopefully, I haven't seen some of the prognosis on some of these guys. I'm sure we'll get more information here in the next couple hours, maybe even the next 24 hours or so. How healthy will Oklahoma State be coming into this game? Both these teams are just beat up. I mean, whether it be... Oklahoma State having so many different guys filling in key positions, or will it be, you know, Kansas State who might be playing without their starting quarterback, who's a completely dynamic threat with his legs? So this is a little bit of a, I don't want to say it's a mash unit type of game, but man, we need to get more information before we can feel really good about a prognostication. Like right now, I lean just ever so slightly in favor of Oklahoma State. I'm going to tell you why. I got two nuggets for you. Ready? Oklahoma State is 7 0. On the road to start of last season. Against the spread, that is. So 7-0 against the spread. The spread in this particular case is 1.5 in favor of Kansas State. So it's one and a hook. Line's essentially a pick 'em. So Kansas State is a slight favorite. But that's the best road cover percentage in the FBS in the last year. All right. They also are 11-1-1 in Big 12 places to start of last season. That's the best such cover percentage in the Big 12 over that span. So if you look at how Oklahoma State has fared in games like this, They've done a really, really good job. Plus, I feel like they're one of those teams that we just constantly keep betting against. We constantly keep saying, oh, you know, they got some flaws. Ah, you know, I'm just not sold. Ah, you know, the defense really not that good. Ah, you know, they've lost some key playmakers and, you know, on the perimeter offensively. You know, it's like one of those things like every week, it's like, ah, you know, I just, I'll find a reason not to like the pokes this week. Well, at what point are we just going to say, man, forget about it. This team's solid. 
Like I still think they're solid. I had them in the top 10 this week, according to my ranks a couple of days ago. So I like Oklahoma State. Have liked what I've seen from them all year. Thought they had things they need to really iron out defensively. But I've liked what I've seen from them. And I've liked what I've seen from their starting quarterback. And I think they have pretty decent pieces. And I love their offensive scheme. Like I like what I've seen from Oklahoma State. Now, ultimately, can they get to the college football playoff? I don't know if I like them that much. But I like them in a game like this, especially if Kansas State... Is it less than 100%? All right, moving along now to Cincinnati, who's traveling on the road to UCF. This would be an awesome matchup. You have one of the nation's best defenses in Cincinnati, allowing just over 300 yards a game. They're the fewest yards allowed in the AAC, and they're 17th in college football. They're led by Ivan Pace, man, who's been off the charts. Got 14 and a half tackles for loss this year, tied for the FBS lead there. He also has seven sacks. So we're talking about a defense that really penetrates, that creates a lot of negative plays. They're going to have to stop John Rice Plumley, And John Rice Plumley is obviously a dynamo. Give him the ball, allow him to do some work. He's averaging over 70 yards a game rushing. But why am I wasting your time breaking this game down? All right. I gave you a couple numbers, a couple tidbits, but who better to break down the game than Luke Fickle, who joins us here on Always College Football. And I'm excited for this weekend's game. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Um, you know, you referenced quarterback run game. You know, you're going to get some this week. <laughs> There's, it's no secret who Gus Malzahn is. It's no secret what their personnel is. So uh, what would you say has been the all points bulletin message to your defense as you prepare for this tempo run centric style of attack? Well, I, I don't think, like you said, you think that you're going to just shut it down. I think that uh, what you got to be able to do is is make sure that you can keep leverage. You got to eliminate the big big plays because um, that's always difficult when when they're when the quarterback is an option in the run because numbers are equal and it, it comes down to you know guys being able to get off blocks and and being aggressive and able to the ability to make plays and obviously the uniqueness with not just his ability to run but his ability to run really fast you know adds a lot of different things with the talent and the and the speed that they've got around them so. Um, there's not any one thing. I think that's what they've done a great job of. Even though they are, a, you know, a run-heavy group, I think they've done a phenomenal job at creating big plays in the passing game as well. Uh, it'll be a remarkable atmosphere there in the bounce house. You're going to get the fans' best shot. I, I can promise you that. Uh, <laughs> the team, the the team, maybe a little inconsistent, but the fans, you will you will get a warm welcome. I would imagine as you walk through the gates there in Orlando. Homecoming in Orlando, yeah. I tried to tell them last night on the radio show. I think that Disney is uh, opening up their gates to free uh, free admission at like three o'clock. So if any of those <laughs> students and them want to want to roll over to Disney that uh, and not come to the game, maybe maybe we can uh, not make it quite as crazy. Are you suggesting that you're going to offer to buy a bunch of tickets <laughs> for UCF students? Is that are no, you offering I, that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I don't know if we can go quite there in NIL world if you can do that to normal students. Right. But um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, you know we, we we love that. You know, we we play in front of a a great environment here, and and we're excited about playing in front of a great environment there. Obviously, one that's not for you, but uh, nonetheless, it's what makes college football great. Uh, and finally, coach, this obviously is an interesting matchup. Um, not that dissimilar to some of the conversations we've had about uh, BYU and Houston. Uh, of course, it's been well documented. This rivalry will carry over into a new league next year. And uh, I feel like the momentum that's been created for both your program and for Gus's program, Dana's program, and then for Kalani's program, knowing what's coming 
uh, is significant. Now, your success last year, you know, you don't need to sell much, but knowing that you now have the Power Five moniker next to your name, how has that impacted your program? And I guess the response that you're getting from recruits as you're out there on the trail. Well, for us, it, it was kind of a, it was kind of threefold, really, to be honest with you. The, the obviously the addition to the new league was one thing that we had battled with just that, you know, that that stigma of not being in the, the P5. We don't really say those things. And we never will. But that stigma that that always kind of was labeled against you um, was one thing you had to overcome. And then for us, obviously, not just uh, winning, but also the ability to go to a playoff that, that everybody talks about. Hey, you got to be here because if you want a chance to get in the playoffs, you can't do it unless you're in you know one of these leagues and. So that was another step for us. And then obviously the draft being as good as it was for us. So it was it was kind of a threefold last year, you know, with with you know the new league announcement, obviously the playoffs, and then the the draft that has, I think, given us a little bit of a different perspective and, and opened up a bit more doors for us and all that we're doing and recruiting is a big part of that. All right. Awesome visit with Luke Fickle. I've called so many of their games. I can't tell you how much respect I have for this team. I think it's a phenomenal matchup. We have seen such Jekyll and Hyde performances from UCF. I really don't know what to expect when it comes to that team. I mean, they can look unbelievable, unstoppable in some ways against the likes of Temple offensively. I know Temple, you look at Temple, to be honest with you, like Temple's defense is not atrocious. They're not atrocious, but they obviously hung 70 on them. All right. But you look, we talked a second ago about the tackle for loss numbers. Cincinnati does an amazing job of holding quarterbacks to no gain or loss yardage. They've done it 49 times this year. Nobody in college football has done it better than limiting quarterback run games. So that's going to be a fascinating game of cat and mouse. I think it's a coin toss game. In coin toss games, I usually lean with the team that's playing at home. So I lean just slightly towards UCF, but the defense, man, defense travels. If Cincinnati wins this one, I will not at all be surprised. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, moving along now to some more matchups, but we take a little bit of a different approach here. Let's ask some questions about some of the bigger matchups or maybe some of the matchups that might be slightly under the radar. So, Coobs, take it away. All right, can TCU go on the road and win comfortably? After four straight games versus ranked opponents. Well, uh, TCU's been the the cardiac toads is what I'm calling them right now, man. I don't really know. I know it doesn't ring like the bell, like cardiac Kemba or cardiac cats or whatever it is, but like cardiac toads, why not? Let's figure it out, right? Um, when you look at TCU, I mean, 
to be able to mount comebacks, 17-point deficit against Oklahoma State, 18-point deficit against Kansas State. They are the second team in the last 20 seasons to overcome a 17-point deficit against AP-ranked opponents in consecutive games. The only other team to do that was 2016 Tennessee. So we're talking about a team that is unbelievable when it comes to coming back. I mean, the last 20 years, no, many teams have done this. So even if West Virginia gets a lead, <laughs> be careful, right? Be very, very careful. You just have to wonder, is this TCU team out of gas? We've been asking that question now for five weeks. They continue to surprise us every week. I'm so impressed by this team's resilience. It comes down to can they score against what's been a very porous defense. We know Max Duggan right now leads the Big 12 in passing touchdowns. It's 19. That's actually eighth in all of college football. He's got a 19 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. That's tied for the best in the FBS. So he's been off the charts good. When you look at the defense, though, for West Virginia, they're really good up front. I mean, you'd be surprised. You watch them up front, their defensive line, they can move, they can stunt, they can create. Stills brother. I mean, they still can do an awful lot there in the front and make life difficult on opposing quarterbacks and opposing run games. But their defensive back end has really struggled. They've given up 15 passing touchdowns. It's the most in the Big 12. They only have two interceptions. That's the fewest in the Big 12. They also rank last in the Big 12 in yards per attempt. Okay? Yards per attempt, touchdown interception ratio. I mean, you name it. They, they're at or near the bottom in most passing defense categories. I don't love the matchup for West Virginia, but I do like the mental approach for West Virginia. I think the TCU, at some point, they're going to lay an egg. You thought it might be last week. Does their quarterback stay healthy for Kansas State? Maybe they do, but feels like at some point they're going to lay an egg. I hope it doesn't happen here, but I wouldn't be that surprised if just they're mentally taxing, they're exhausted, and they don't play their best here on what's a little bit of an overlooked game. So difficult spot to go on the road. You know Morgantown will be rocking. I like TCU, but I like it to be close. I think it's going to be within the seven and a half points. So I expect TCU to keep this thing, or excuse me, West Virginia, to keep this thing very interesting. And I wouldn't be shocked if TCU came back in some miraculous fashion yet again. All right, on to beautiful central New York. Will Syracuse let Clemson beat them twice? You know, I think the big thing for for Syracuse here is they have to be able to stop the run. If you look at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame kind of has a three-headed monster at running back, but it does feel like they're starting to kind of lean in the direction where it's going to be Logan Diggs. You still have the big home run threat that is Tyree, and Audric Estime is still the powerful back that can impose his will. I don't hate Estime in this particular game, just because if you look at Syracuse, they're not very big. Syracuse along the front, really on the front seven defensively, they are really undersized. Shoot, man, they have a defensive tackle that's listed, listed at 5'11", 276. That's a nose guard that plays head up with the center. So when you're, that, and that's what he's listed at, reminder, okay? What is he actually? Probably five, I mean, Usually you can subtract an inch, you can subtract 15 pounds. So whether that's accurate or not, everyone's a little bit different when it comes to their height and weight. But when your defensive tackle, your nose guard is undersized like that, and by the way, everyone else on the front, for the most part, undersized as well, that's going to be difficult to hold up. You're going to say, well, they've held up really well this whole year. I agree. I understand that. But think about what they endured last week. They endured 90 offensive snaps 
that they had to defend. You're going to say, well, if I look at the numbers, Greg, it says 85. Yeah, because it doesn't count two-point conversions. It doesn't count pre-snap penalties. They had to defend 90 offensive snaps last week. That's a lot. For a group that isn't crazy deep and for a group that isn't crazy big, that's a lot. So what do you think Notre Dame's going to do this week? They played terrible last week. Well, terrible is probably a bit harsh, but they were very up and down last week. You got to think they're looking at this tape, licking their chops, thinking we need to pound the football. That's what Clemson was able to do in the second half of that football game. That's what Clemson was able to do in order to finally get away. Expect Notre Dame to come in, try to establish their will at the line of scrimmage and to challenge what might be a fatigued, undersized defensive line. But there's one other thing that I've seen this year. Syracuse seems to find a way. Like They're a gritty team. So do not count them out at all. Do not count them out whatsoever. But if you look at the trends, Notre Dame's 8-2 and two against the spread and road games to start of the 2020 season. This is essentially a pick em. I think Syracuse is a slight favorite. So right now, I'm calling the game. I'm not going to make a pick. But I think what I'd be paying attention to if I were a fan of college football, I'd be paying attention to closely. Can Notre Dame establish the line of scrimmage and run the football with the same type of conviction that Clemson ran it with a week ago? All right. Can Michigan look dominant at home against Michigan State? Well, we all know what Michigan State's done the last couple of years. Mel Tucker's in his third year, and he's undefeated <laughs> against the Wolverines. So that tells you all, you all you really need to know. Now, they're a three-touchdown underdog, of course, and this will be a difficult one to be able to pull out. I love Michigan. Anyone that's watched this show knows that I love Michigan. I love both lines of scrimmage. I love how they're – I think they're the best offensive line in college football, and I'm really not sure it's all that close right now. I think they are miles ahead of who I would have at second. Now, a lot can change, but so far, through what I've seen, that offensive line is phenomenal. And we know that they have a two-headed monster running back with Coram and Edwards. So I love – their personnel running the football, plus McCarthy's ability to keep you honest in the run game as well. It really comes down to, can Michigan State stop the run? I mean, that's that's everything right now. And everyone that I thought that could, Penn State, for instance, who came into that game a couple weeks ago as the seventh best rush defense in college football, well, what happened? They got absolutely gashed to the tune of 400-plus yards on the ground that day. The Spartans are going to have their hands full there. But Mel Tucker, I would anticipate from him, a complete sellout against the run. That's what I would do if I were him. Completely sell out against the run. If they're going to beat us, it's going to be because of J.J. McCarthy's arm and the talented weapons on the outside, who I think are very underappreciated. I'm going to completely sell out against the run. It might still not work with how Michigan's offense can put you in conflict with RPOs and with quarterback run and how they can get numbers and buy gaps with pullers and pin and pulls and things like that. It's a difficult run to stop. But if I'm Mel Tucker, I'm doing whatever I have to do to be able to stop that Michigan run game. If you look at Michigan, I think they are miles ahead of Michigan State this year. I think they're going to dominate the Spartans. Uh, maybe I'm crazy, and I know it's a rivalry game, and I know Mel Tucker's track record, and I know Michigan State's track record. They have 11 wins as an unranked team against Michigan. That's the most such wins by one program over a single opponent in the AP poll era. So this team thrives as an underdog. Looking at Sparty as a dog, they're always in a great spot. Not this year. 
I, I love Michigan. Uh, I think they are going to run up and down the field. And I don't think Michigan State, even though they've been better the last couple of weeks, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up. All right, going down to the SEC, will Texas A&M show a pulse against Ole Miss? This one is interesting, right? Because there's so much negativity coming out of Aggieland, right? You have freshmen suspended. You have three offensive linemen that are hurting out for the year. I mean, it's like, could there be a worst news week? I mean, they're trying to figure out, is it, is, is it going to be Haynes King? Jimbo says it's going to be Haynes King, but the fan base wants to see the freshman Wagmans. It's like, man, I, I, it, it's been all bad news. All bad news for Jimbo and company this whole week. But here's the thing. I look at situations like this, and I feel like I'm getting A&M on sale as far as the court of public opinion, right? Everybody thinks A&M's mailing it in. Everybody thinks A&M's going to completely shut it down. Ole Miss comes in licking their wounds off last week. They're going to be ticked off. They're going to go to Aggie land, and they're going to get a win. Like I favor Ole Miss in this game for sure based on what I've seen on tape. But it's almost like this whole week of negativity is going to allow Jimbo to create a sense of us against the world type of mentality. And you give it, look, you can look at A&M and say they have flaws. Yeah, no kidding, right? I know they have flaws. That's painfully obvious. But I also look and I see a lot of talent on that roster. And if for whatever reason, that talent wants to turn it on and make a statement, Guess what? They can do that. This is one of the more difficult games of the weekend to pick. You're going to say, wow. I'm just telling you Ole Miss has major flaws on defense. Major flaws on defense. And I'm not sold on their front th- front seven defensively. I think they have a chance to potentially get gashed. AM as a mobile quarterback, if Haynes King is able to go, not that dissimilar to Jaden Daniels at LSU. He, of course, got off last week. I think Jaden Daniels throws it better. Than Haynes King, but either way, that quarterback run game was problematic for Ole Miss last week. Maybe Texas A&M can do some of that as well. I actually lean just ever so slightly in favor of the Aggies. You're going to say, Greg, you're nuts. I know. Believe me. I don't know how I can take Texas A&M in this game. It makes no sense. It's absolutely bonkers, which is exactly why I'm doing it. Everything in their brother says, this is the week you take Ole Miss. This is the week you take Ole Miss. Except it also feels like it's the week where I can get AM at the best value. Like I'll take AM in the home field. I think they get it done and handle miss their second straight loss. Greg, you're nuts. Moving on. Will North Carolina pull away in the coastal <laughs> with a win over Pitt? I am nuts. I don't disagree at all. How I'm favoring AM is beyond me, but I'm just I think part of my Part of my pick there is like, I just, I was really bothered by what I saw last week from Ole Miss. I don't think they can protect the quarterback. I think they're going to get all kinds of hits on Jackson Dart. I think they can run the ball, but I think AM's going to be good against the run. Uh, at least I think they should be good against the run. So I, I don't know. I'm, we'll see. I think I'm taking crazy pills, but uh, somebody's got to write the prescription for crazy pills. All right. Moving on now, we have a lot still to talk about when it comes to this game, because Pitt, North Carolina, this was, I took, this is not me tapping myself on the back. I took North Carolina to win the coastal this year. People thought I was crazy. The reason why I thought that North Carolina had a chance to do that 
is because I think Pitt is really susceptible through the air. Like if you look at how Pitt defends and how Pat Narduzzi defends, dating back to his time at Michigan State, he is always excellent against the run. Or at least that is always the first priority for Pat Narduzzi when putting together his defensive structure. And the one passing attack in the ACC Coastal that I trusted coming into this year was North Carolina. So that's why I took North Carolina and I thought that they'd win this game, which would ultimately give them the inside track in the Coastal Division. I still like North Carolina. I love what Drake May's done. I love their pass catchers on the outside. I have major issues, major issues with what they've done defensively. And I've been very proud of Pitt and being able to transition from what they were last year as a pass-happy approach to now being a little bit more balanced and really featuring Izzy Abanaconda. We know that he's been awesome. He's closing in on the 1,000 rushing yards after having just 800 total in his first two seasons. got 13 rushing touchdowns. That's the most in the FBS. And if you look at what North Carolina's been defensively, they're allowing over 185 rushing yards a game. All right. And nearly five yards per carry. Those are the worst marks in the ACC. The other thing, too, Keaton Slovis, the passing attack, if for whatever reason, I think Gene Chizik and that defense will completely sell out to try to limit the pit rushing attack, which means it's going to be forced onto Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis has been throwing picks lately. He hasn't played very well, has not posted a QBR above 50 since the first game of the year against West Virginia, and had his worst performance of the season last week against Louisville. The defense might be the elixir, might be the elixir to get him back on track, but ultimately, I don't really trust Keaton Slovis, but I do trust Drake May, and I think North Carolina does just enough to get it done, even though I would imagine that Pitt will use the recipe provided to them by North Carolina, by, by Notre Dame against North Carolina a few weeks ago with a physical rushing attack. So uh, another one where maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but I like the Tar Heels at home. All right, last one here. What's the biggest game that is not getting the attention it deserves? Think about this. All right, Big Ten West, one of the most forgotten about divisions in college football, rightfully so. It's really not a great league. It's not a great division. It's a good league. It's not a great division. Illinois, however, is great. And Illinois now goes on the road to Nebraska. And Nebraska has been playing better of late. I'm not sold on Nebraska. Uh I think it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors right now based on the competition and the level of the competition. But I acknowledge a few things. One, Illinois is going to take the air out of the football. They're going to run the dang rock. Chase Brown's going to get plenty of opportunities. He's going to try to impose his will. Just a couple weeks ago against Minnesota, he had 41 carries. I and mean, that's a lot. That's a lion's share of carries to the tune of, I think he went for a buck 80 or whatnot. And that was a pretty dang good rush defense coming into that game. I do think Nebraska's got some weapons that can be problematic. Trey Palmer probably being the best example of that. He's got more catches and receiving yards already for Nebraska this season than he had in three seasons combined at LSU. He ranks fourth in receiving yards per game and is on pace to shatter the Cornhuskers' single-season record of 89.6 yards per game established by Stanley Morgan five years ago. So he's having a great year. But man, I just don't know if Nebraska's defense is going to be able to hang in there long enough to be able to keep Illinois from putting together those 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives with that massive offensive line that just leans on you. I like Illinois in the game. I think it'll be close. I think Nebraska will come to play. Huge game for Nebraska. If they win this game, they're in first place in the division. I mean, that is crazy to think about 
where we're at right now. Now, ultimately, do I think they get to Indianapolis as the Big Ten West champs? No. But Illinois, they win this one. They create a pretty sizable gap between them and everybody else. So I love this Illinois team. I'm going to continue to ride the hot hand. So give me the Illini and get them to take it on the road and take it to the Cornhuskers. All right, moving into our final thought, and we're going to start doing this every week. Uh, just some games that we haven't talked about just yet, but wanted to give you a couple nuggets just to take to the bank uh, if you so choose, okay? Let's start with Arkansas on the road at Auburn. Auburn's won each of the past six games against the Arkansas Razorbacks. It's the longest winning streak for either program in series history. Now, the Razorbacks' last win came back in 2015 when they escaped with a crazy overtime victory. It was a four-overtime game, I might add. Uh, both teams have allowed over 28 points per game this year with Auburn ranking 12th in the SEC in scoring defense and Arkansas ranking 13th. The difference is the other side of the ball. Arkansas is a lot better on offense than Auburn is on offense. Auburn right now 13th in the conference in scoring offense, 22 points per game. Arkansas scoring 10 points more. I lean Arkansas to get it done on the road. Oregon and Cal. Cal is 14 and four against the spread as an underdog since the start of the 2019 season. Just take that one to the bank. We all love Oregon. We love Oregon. How could we not, based on the performance last week? But Cal's 14-4 against the spread since the start of the 2019 season. Wake Forest at Louisville. Wake Forest. Everybody's loving Wake Forest. Well, you know who's had Wake Forest number? Scott Satterfield and the Louisville Cardinals. Louisville has covered each of their past three games against Wake Forest. Wake Forest, a slight favorite on the road at Louisville this week. And then finally, Missouri at South Carolina. One of the most mind-boggling lines of the weekend. South Carolina, a five-point favorite. Everyone and their brother saying, man, South Carolina's rolling. They smoked Texas A&M last week. They got Kentucky a couple weeks ago. Well, South Carolina's failed to cover in three straight and five of its last six games as an AP-ranked team. Welcome to the top 25, South Carolina. Giving Missouri the points, <laughs> given the trends, there in that one. Hey, thanks for being with us, man. What a great week we've had. We so appreciate all the listeners. We so appreciate all the responses, the interactions that you've given us on the ESPN YouTube page, the emails that you've sent us, the reviews you've given us. So, so grateful to all of you and the word of mouth, by the way. We don't have a marketing budget. We don't spend any money on marketing or pushing us. I make my producer, Scotty Matthews, who listens every day, I make him talk, make him put up a little little deal in our game, but that's it. That's the extent of our marketing budget, which by the way, costs $0. So we appreciate you very much. The word of mouth is huge. We appreciate the support that we've gotten up to this point. And for all of us here at Always College Football, we'll continue to break it down every possible way here. Not just tomorrow, not just the next day, not just the day after that, but every single day, the rest of the season and into the off season as well. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.